fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienna. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about Amish sovereign citizens poisoning Floridians with their raw milk with my friend Vienna. Solidarity with the Amish on this one. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, they're Amish sovereign citizens. I don't know if this is the right group you want to hang around with. We need to introduce the Amish to Maoism. Maybe. <laughs> Protracted people's buggies. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really into the, the fascist Amish. <laughs> I don't know enough about the Amish to know that they would be that associated with uh, fascists. But I also don't know how much uh, this person is, how Amish, if you do, like, you know what I mean? I don't know how practicing they are, but uh, it is what it is. We will get to it. How are you, Vienna? I'm all right. Um, yeah, kind of. Damn, I got nothing. I, like, yeah. I got no <laughs> updates. I got no anything this week um i can't even think of anything funny to say uh i'm out of it i guess that's that's the thing <laughs> nice how are you i you know i'm also out of it i should say we're recording this episode a bit late because the day we were supposed to record i had a window collapse on my hand <laughs> and then spent most of the morning when i should have been prepping for the podcast in the hospital it uh, turns out that my hand, nothing in my hand is broken, but it is still sore. Uh, it was severely bruised. Uh, maybe my hand was just too uh, thick. <laughs> didn't get to the bone. <laughs> but uh, it hurt. Dummy thick hand. Yeah, so doesn't feel great. But but I am I am alive and everything's fine. And it was like worrying for the first couple of days because, you know, it was my more dominant hand. So I like I was having trouble putting on pants. <laughs> Just like tying my shoes, couldn't do any of it, but it's it's getting better. I got more more functionality out of it now, but it's uh, not fun. But that being said, this it's this is gonna be long, uh, probably in part because you know we have a, a guest appearance that uh, you know is gonna be on. We're, we'll we'll get to it, and then uh, I got surprised with this fun Amish story. So, <laughs> well, I say it's fun. Uh, I guess, yeah, it's, it's kind of fun. I guess at the end of the day, I still think it's fun. But we will get to it right after this intro. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. So we're covering the week of August 15th to August 19th. And on the Monday of the 15th, Ezra opens by talking about some activist group that is called Stop Fracking Around. I don't know. Have you nice. heard of Stop Fracking Around? <laughs> no, but I agree. Yes. We should stop fracking around. Now, he teases at the beginning that this group openly supports Vladimir Putin, that they are foreign funded. And that they should all be arrested for mischief, like the trucker convoy, because they either have or are preparing to block a road. That's at least what we get from the teaser of this episode. Feels a bit like throwing rocks at glass houses or whatever, coming from Ezra about the Putin stuff. Just because 
I, I guess I don't know. Has the far right like shifted on Putin and Russia, or are they still kind of like they've just gotten quieter about it? Like Ezra has openly said since the whole Ukraine thing that he doesn't like Putin. He's very adamant mm-hmm. about like going like he do- and he doesn't like Putin specifically because Putin uh, is secretly still a communist, and also we need to sell our oil and he's a competitor. I think like that's <laughs> mostly why he doesn't like Putin. But we will get to the connection in a bit. First, we got to make a little bit of a detour. So Ezra claims he sees the same people at every left-wing protest. And he also concludes... Fuck, he's got us. <laughs> he also concludes that most of them are mentally ill, which, you know... Also true. <laughs> two for two. <laughs> or we're paid to be there. Now, the third one, not so much. Not, sadly, not paid to be there. But Man, I wish. So this... <laughs> and of course he's saying this because he's trying to make a, a statement also about this fracking around, uh, uh, stop fracking around group. But this this is how he opens up with uh, trying to say that he's... Every, every pro... Every protester is at every single protest. But my point is, I've been covered covering oil and gas and pipeline and mining and anti-capitalist protests for almost two decades. That's how old I am. And one of the most eye-opening things for me was that I saw the same professional protesters at each one. I got to know them by name, even. I'd see the same guy at an anti-mining protest and then at the Occupy Toronto protest. And then the same people were out in Hamilton in an anti-pipeline protest. And then the same people were at an idle no more protest. Same people, same leaders. Now, the leaders knew a little bit about what they were doing, but the rent-a-mob did not. Some of them were literally street people who were paid 50 bucks to hold a sign for the day, 50 bucks and a hot lunch. They didn't have a drop of politics in them at all. Some of them were mentally ill people being used as cannon fodder. It's very sad. I remember one young woman, Trish Mills was her name. I still remember her. She she had a blog about her deep mental illness. It made me extremely sad to read about it and then to see how the environmentalists took advantage of her, egged her on to commit the crimes. She was the one who got charged and convicted and punished while the bosses didn't get themselves in trouble. They literally used marginalized and damaged and mentally ill people as their weapons to commit political crimes for fundraising. It made me sad and mad, not just at the environmentalists, but at the media party, who obviously saw the same things I saw. That all these many events were organized by the same professional organizers. None of them were organic. Most of the participants were clueless about their mission. They were just doing what they were instructed to do. The way he started off was like, yeah, it's the same people at every protest. Or like, you know, you'll see the same people at all of them. It's like, whoa. You're saying these things are connected? All these things are connected? Yeah. Are you saying that left-wing people support various left-wing causes? Are you serious? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's so silly. But then it's also like, I mean, there's some truth to that. There there are like the activist types that show up at most uh, events. Yeah. For sure. 100%. Now, we're going to get a contrast in a second with him describing, in contrast to the depiction that he just made here with these people, with what he uh, perceives as the trucker demographic. And 
the same phenomenon is there. Yeah. 100%. There's people, like, there's the one dude who's at every, like, anti-lockdown event who's just a dude who wears a Speedo that I've seen, like, at every single one. And it's like, he's just some dude who travels around and goes to, like, every anti-lockdown thing. So this is not some sort of, like, unique feature to left-wing protests uh, to that extent. The, The mental illness thing is also silly. Like, well, for one, like, I've never seen anybody, like, pay homeless people to pick up a sign and like do something maybe they're gonna give hot meals while they're out there or something but that's not like yeah like i've seen people who we know people who who have offered food at protests and whatever yeah um or narcan kits or like yeah, yeah yeah like you know that's pretty standard but it's just like i don't know it's interesting too that like you know these sorts of people can have no agency and can't have beliefs of their own apparently um, if they're like showing up to something, especially like, oh, wow, the mentally ill, quote unquote, you know, can't can't be political. Well, that's the thing about the, the mental illness part of this, because like, I mean, I've been I mean, we joked before I played the clip about like our own struggles, but I've been open about my struggles uh, with depression and stuff like this. And, you know, it, it, they always go on about like Greta Thunberg with this as well, where Greta Thunberg was open about her depression and autism being open about those things doesn't mean that that like you're somehow admitting that you're incapacitated or you suffering from some sort of mental condition that therefore you you automatically can be taken advantage of or some shit like the way that he was portraying it and so this gets to this trish mills person that he brings up He spends a lot of time talking about how she was mentally ill or wrote this blog. Now, I couldn't find this blog. I don't know to what extent she was or is or whatever uh, in terms of mental illness. But he is like using it to sort of like devalue her her contributions to things. Like, and in the end, it doesn't really matter even if she did, right? But he's specifically using it to say something about like, she's being led around because she's this weak, uh, feeble person who's suffering from this mental illness. Now, what she did... So, Trish was charged with mischief after she locked herself to a fence while protesting Enbridge's Line 9. This was back in 2014. She received a reduced sentence for it being her first offense, and so was able to go, but... uh, Or she might have spent a couple days in prison, something like this. She is still an activist today, for many causes. So I, I've seen her post stuff about uh, Wet'suwet'en uh, during the rail blockades back in 2020. So she's still involved uh, with a lot of this stuff. In researching this, I also found a very funny story that is worth highlighting, which is that back when Ezra was employed at Sun News, he covered her story in 2014 when she was protesting Line 9, and they used some of her footage that I guess she had made while doing this protest. She then wrote to Sun Media, claiming they used her footage without paying for the rights. So Sun News eventually cut her a check. She then used that money to fund more Line 9 activism. So in a sense, her eco-activism was funded by Ezra Levant. (laughs) That's so great. Now Ezra, almost 10 years later, is trying to claim that she's a mentally ill person who's being controlled by foreign-funded environmentalists. I didn't hear the foreign funded yet. Oh, it's all there. I mean, well, because all the leaders are themselves foreign funded. That's how this works, you see? 
she was manipulated by by the leaders. But either way, like reading the articles back then when she did this, she was taking joy in knowing that he was funding the Line 9 activism. And like, you know, so it's like contrary to this like feeble, mentally ill person or like however he's trying to paint this, she sounds great. (laughs) She could also have depression. I don't know. Great people could have depression. What a thought. Or or whatever. Depression was just a thing that popped in my head. Self self serving. Got to speak about my own. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I feel like when Ezra is making reference to like mental illness, he probably means more like schizophrenia and like that kind of stuff, where it's like more blatant and obvious symptoms, and that way he can paint them as like less in control of their own actions and stuff like that, which is you know exactly what society treats those kinds of people as. Because, yeah, you know, they got to be locked up and force medicated or whatever. Can't have any agency. That's the one thing they can't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And or even when they exhibit the agency, you got to blame it on someone else because it can't be coming from them. Yeah. So now we get to the comparison. So he just we got through all the left wing things. Now, here's how Ezra describes, in contrast to the picture that he just painted, how the truckers are like when they're protesting. How different from, oh, say, the truckers. The trucker convoy was authentic, organic, real people. And if you actually stop to ask any one of them why they were doing what they were doing, oh, they would tell you at great length. No one put them up to it. They had some leaders, but I'd call them more symbolic or spiritual leaders, like Tamara Leach. Yes, there were millions of dollars raised to pay for the truckers, but you'll recall very little of any of it actually flowed They were seized by GoFundMe, then seized by the government. And when that wasn't enough, they actually seized the bank accounts of hundreds of peaceful protesters without court process. So it was the opposite of a bought and paid for campaign. It was penalized and punished. All the elements are still there, but he has his own unique spin this time for why, like, you know, yeah, okay, there was leaders, but these leaders are different somehow. They were more spiritual rather than... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> rather than, you know, actively directing people in Telegram chats to what to do, you know. It's like, <laughs> uh, or what is, or the funding, the funding was all organic and grassroots. Meanwhile, like, Ezra and the Rebel News gave people tons of free media. They they helped fund lawyers for various people. They, like, and, like, not to mention all the other people that funded as well, but. Yeah, like tens of thousands of dollars of donations and whatever. And some of which we know came from, like, rich people in the United States uh, as well. Yeah. It's so obvious. Like, it, this is, like, in some sense, like, a hypocrisy gotcha, like, to point that shit out. But it's, like, it's so amazing. Like, it, you could just see the sort of, like, thought process going on here. Which, How can I spin the things that I like in the most favorable light and then spin all the little things that they do in the most negative light? And that's that's just all this is. And it's so sad. It's just sad, like, listening to it that distilled, you know? It really feels like like they're not trying as much as they used to. And maybe that's... Uh, I, I don't know what to contribute that to. Because in some sense, they're growing. So I wonder if it's just he's busy. And his busyness is, like, causing him to just, like... Be, like not try to like come up with a better sounding stupid answer (laughs) i wonder if it's also just that like you don't even need it anymore right like 
they're growing and what has the last like month of output from them been but like yeah, they've been incentivized yeah you know they don't have to like say anything they can just talk bullshit for whatever for whatever amount of time and just be like oh world economic forum yuval harari blah 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 and then they're good like i mean that, yeah we'll get to it if <laughs> the, we haven't gotten to the foreign funding connection in this one so. but uh before we get there this episode was about the stop fracking around group so eventually ezra gets to this topic in stop fracking around they vandalized a clock in bc by putting molasses on it in protest of the coastal gaslink pipeline they also plan in the future to block traffic. And so Ezra compares this to how the truckers block traffic. And this is what he has to say about it. Video, protesters just poured molasses all over the Gastown steam clock in Vancouver. The new group says plans to block traffic and bridges this week too. So let me stop there. So vandalism, mischief, more than happened during the entire trucker convoy, by the way. There was a national media meltdown when someone merely put a sign in the hands of that Terry Fox statue. That was called desecration. That was called vandalism because that was literally all they had against the truckers. Here you have vandalism and trespass and mischief and a promise to block roads, including ambulances and fire trucks and people going to work and people picking up their kids, everyone's business. And where's the Emergencies Act? Where are the riot police? Where are the bank account seizures? I'm kidding. That's only for trucker peaceful protesters, not for Justin Trudeau's allies. Who the fuck are they protesting, bud? Like, <laughs> Yeah, the, the pipelines that fucking Trudeau supports. Also, the, the Trudeau bot. <laughs> yeah, but like, also, also the NDP government in B.C., yeah. Which is like, the, you're going to find the stop fracking now, people. The the one leader uh, recently staged a hunger strike to uh, prevent, like, old old forest logging outside of the environmental minister building for the BC NDP. So, like, they're targeting <laughs> left-wing governments, quote-unquote, ostensibly left-wing governments, for not following through on the things that they should do as being ostensibly left-wing governments. I think, like, the other thing, too, is him, him, the way he talks about, like, these, this small group of people who would be blocking a road to prevent fracking compared to, like, all the people who showed up in Ottawa with large truck, uh, and not just, like, because I think there would probably be a ton of people who are against fracking. There's just not a ton of people who are going to be occupying the small road. Uh, so therefore, why would you need the Emergencies Act? But even, like, the vandalism shit, it's like, okay, I don't really care about vandalism, personally. Yeah, I also didn't care when the truckers did it. That was, like, the one point where I was like, I don't, whatever. Oh no, a statue. Some of the damage that they did do, which is, like, leaving your heavy fucking rigs on, like, paved streets or spilling oil diesel all over the fucking place, like... They did more damage uh, in terms of, like, real impact than dumping a little bit of molasses on, on a fucking clock. And then, <laughs> and then they talk about that the, they're going to be blocking ambulances. What the fuck were they doing in Ottawa? <laughs> Any protest is going to do that. 
But that's also just straight up not true. Like, every protest that I've been to where an ambulance has come by, even if it's, like, tens of thousands of people, it parts ways fully to let that thing through. True, and in Ottawa, they threw rocks at the ambulance when it tried to drive through. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing. Like, because that was the big, like, talking point during all the Black Lives Matter rallies and why they were, like, okay with cars running over protesters was, like, you're going to block ambulances. And, of course, all that fucking shit goes out the window once it's their people who are doing the protest. Then it's like, oh, well, who cares about the ambulances then? Once it's their people protesting outside of hospitals <laughs> explicitly to block ambulances. But then, like... He still wants to hold on to that talking point here, right? Like, it's so weird. It's like, let it go. <laughs> We've passed the point. We've all acknowledged that <laughs> this is going to happen. Like, if you get a large enough people, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to impede the passage of ambulances, right? Now, granted, I agree with you that, like, if you get 10,000 Black Lives Matter supporters, they're probably going to part the, the sea of the crowd and let the ambulance through in comparison to right-wing protesters. But it would impede movement. But that's just like, I'm willing to take that risk for at least having the protest. But like, you acknowledge that up front. Like, but it's like, they can never acknowledge the harm of the shit that they do, ever. No matter how little, small, or insignificant it is. They can never be doing harm. They live in some like, magical world. They're incapable of doing harm. Even if they tried to. They couldn't. (laughs) I will end by just spoiling the game. So Ezra concludes his piece by pointing out that the person named in the press release for Stop Fracking Around is a man named Brett Eichler. He's the guy who did the hunger strike. He's also a member of Extinction Rebellion, which started in the, in the UK, so therefore he's foreign funded. That's the connection. That's it. Really? That's it. That's the connection. That's why it's foreign funded. And again, uh, they're pro-Putin because they're against fracking in Canada and therefore are helping Putin sell gas to Europe. And that's his argument. The rest of the piece like, really wasn't an argument for that, but <laughs> he just sums it up at the end. There you go. They're trying to stop people from poisoning the land. They must be pro-poisoning the land somewhere else. <laughs> like... Yeah, that was, that was the first opening segment. And then we get to his interview, which is... Fantastic, with someone named Katie Davis Court. Now, we talked about Davis Court recently because she was one of the people who I think was associated with, I thought they said Blaze TV at the time, I might be wrong, but she was associated with another group, but at least went with Lewis Brackpool and other rebel employees to go to uh, do the the Dutch protests, uh, the, the Dutch farm protests. And so he had talked to her at that point. However, he's uh, talking to her now because she's a Rebel News employee. It's also worth remembering, I, I, or reminding, I said this at the time as well, but she's most famous, I think, for covering the Black Lives Matter rallies in Oregon and Washington State back in 2020. And she had this famous moment where she sent out a tweet blaming the forest fires in Oregon on uh, Antifa, which caused a bunch of right-wing militia to, like, create checkpoints and, like, you know, at the barrel of a gun were asking people where they were going. You know, fun stuff. All because she sent yeah. out a stupid fucking tweet. So now she's a rebel employee. That's great. Wonderful. Ezra, <laughs> Ezra describes her as being out of uh, Seattle, which he says is the heart of the Antifa war. 
the Antifa war. You know, it's the war we've all heard about. I'd give I'd give that to Seattle because of the like it's that it's it's there at Portland. Like those are the options for if you're labeling a capital for Antifa. Depends on what what you mean by Antifa war. Like, is it is it is it the war against Antifa, or is Antifa waging the war against the other people? Or does that distinction even matter? Because here's the thing: is if if it's the both the fascists and the Antifa, calling it the Antifa war seems weird because you're signaling out one side of this conflict where it should be like a name that just uh, describes the conflict. No. The war for the future. (laughs) The war, the first battle in the war for the future begins in Seattle. Was it, isn't that also where like the, the first large, like anti-globalization protest was as well. So there there you go. It was. Yeah. No, like. Started. Like there's a (laughs) reason. Yeah. Like Seattle and Portland. Like it's the Pacific Northwest because one, they already got a bunch of Nazis to fight. And two, they got nothing to do up there. They're just, you know, they do whatever drugs they can get their hands on, and then they just go to town on their opposing force. So Ezra does eventually ask her about the farm protests, which is what how they initially came into contact. And Ezra wants to make a point, which is that the the Dutch media were against the farmers. And he says that the media used to speak truth to power, but now they support power. One of the conceits of journalists is they speak truth to power. They're the David versus Goliath. They're the Aaron Brockovich taking on the big company. But in reality, I think journalists serve power. And instead of holding the powerful to account, they were trying to hold you to account. They're trying right. to hold the farmers to account, which is an inversion. They're supposed to take on the toughest, biggest, baddest people, but they serve the toughest, biggest, baddest people. It's so upside down. The thing that I wanted to play this like short little clip, because this has been a common theme of his like recently. And the, the thing that frustrates me about it, and it's like interesting how he like even uses the sort of like Aaron Brockovich example, which is that he's trying to say that like power is government when really like what he's ignoring here is the power of like corporate farms in the Netherlands that are using industrialized farming practices and destroying the environment right that of course is not powerful to him like to, he he wants well he wants to sh- like create an illusion where they're not really powerful they're just these harmless like lone farmers that have, it's been in the family for years and it's tradition blah 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 and just ignore the fact that it's a billion dollar industry where like there is power there Right. Meanwhile, the true power, these corrupt elites, and like that's how he wants to play that game, right? And yet, it's like the the corporations are powerful. Yes, <laughs> a billion dollars can buy many powers. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like worth highlighting that move because I think like you could see how like seamlessly he like moved there. Where like the examples that he brought up of like journalists challenging power, they were challenging corporate power. And yet he somehow then like moves into it's more about like the government and like uh, anti the like lone worker individual farmer type people. They're not individual farmers. It's a family farm. True. Where the man goes out <laughs> and he farms all day and the wife 
stays at home and she cooks and cleans and raises the small army of children that also go do child labor on the farm. Come on. At one point, he wants to sort of like make a point about how all the local journalists were like pro-government, but the all the foreign reporters were like pro-farmers. And he talks about that's why like Rebel News is so great and stuff. But like, I sat with that for a few seconds. I'm like, aren't they then the foreign funded anti-environmentalists going into the Netherlands to like support the farm protests? It's also very funny that like, oh, wow, the locals all know that these people are cranks. (laughs) They must be great people. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, why? So me, the person who has no, like, I never even knew where the Netherlands were until I decided to cover this story. I now have the expert knowledge to look the people who've lived there their whole lives and go, you're wrong. (laughs) I, who don't speak the local language, know what's going on better than the locals. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. The last thing to note here is he ends by saying that, admitting that he hasn't been uh, around as much lately. So, like, I don't know if you've noticed the last few weeks, uh, the last two or so episodes tend to be uh, covered by both Sheila Gunn-Reed and David Menzies, who have been filling in for him while he's been out. And he says the reason why he hasn't been in is because he's flying all over the world and meeting all their new employees. So that's why uh, he's been taking a few days off here and there. Just in case we were wondering, I, I was under the impression that was probably legally related, but <laughs> in all the lawsuits that they're fighting or... or suing etc so but if it's just he's flying around to meet new employees cool fun have a fun vacation or whatever so now we get to august 16th august 16th is a little slow nothing really exciting happens uh ezra's opening piece is i guess uh the hong kong police have a new policy about misinformation or something and he compares that to our own police but then says that our now Hong Kong's police are as, as bad as our police. And like, like I just, whatever, I don't care. It was hard to follow and just whatever. Screw both police. I don't, I don't care. Ezra says ACAB. But then he interviews Spencer Fernando, who again is just a right-wing Canadian blogger. And he interviews him about a piece in the Toronto Star that said that people in general are becoming too angry. And most of their conversation is that they're like, well, that's because the Toronto Star made everyone angry at anti-vaxxers. So aren't they a bunch of hypocrites? And that's <laughs> that's most of the conversation. The only other thing they talked about that's worth like sort of like touching on because it's something that we covered in the past is they complain about Rachel Gilmore. And so Rachel Gilmore was this global news reporter who uh, is being harassed by a bunch of right-wing people. A lot of it started because Pierre Polyevre basically uh, outed, or put her on blast, and then all of his uh, fan people started harassing her. Now, she's still receiving uh, death threats and harassment, and she wrote about them. Some of this is coming from Jeremy McKenzie, who's the Diagalon person, who, again, some of the Diagalon members in Coots, Alberta, who are... Uh, you know, in trial right now after the fact uh, of them allegedly plotting to kill police officers. 
yeah, it's fun. It's all connected. So all these people are harassing Rachel Gilmore. And, of course, Spencer Fernando and Ezra downplay it. And then they then criticize a freedom of the press group in Canada for defending Rachel by complaining. Uh, so they were like, and then this group wants to defend Rachel. And they didn't even complain about what happened to Salman Rushdie. British, Indian, author, and stabbed in the U.S. So, like, nothing Canadian. And also, he's not a journalist. So, like... <laughs> yeah, no, it, a lot of the, like, that was silly. I am surprised that that was the only reference to Salman Rushdie. And I have to say, when it was brought up, they didn't mention the fatwa or any of that. So, it's like... They had an opportunity to be Islamophobes and didn't take it. So, yeah. So that's all the rush to begin. Now we get to August 17th. And I guess I'll, I'll put a content warning, which is uh, we are going to talk about uh, grooming and uh, child sexual abuse. Because for the entire episode, Ezra talks to James Lindsay. Now, this is the third time that James Lindsay has been on Ezra's podcast. And this is the third time that Ezra gives James the, like, entire show, basically. And I get the feeling that's because Ezra, like, thinks he's a git. Like, he's got someone special to, like, get on his show. And I find that so weird. Because I, I don't, like, think of James Lindsay as, like, being that big. Although I guess he is. Now, we've, we've talked about James Lindsay before, so I'm not going to go into his whole biography. It's just, I guess I will say, used to be a part of the atheist movement, uh, did these penis hoax paper things that were like really controversial. He was trying to discredit gender studies. Most of academia just ignored him and thought he was an idiot. He then uh, decided to go full turn into MAGA territory. He joined up with a Christian nationalist group, all to attack... A, critical race theory he was one of the first to sort of like go into the anti-critical race theory stuff so that's james Lindsay, and he's on the show today because apparently he was kicked off twitter for tweeting hashtag okay groomer that is how ezra frames it we'll we'll get to whether that is an accurate assessment of his twitter ban or not in the future but that is why he's on to talk it's also worth stating before we get into it that Ezra refers to James Lindsay as a doctor constantly. Dr. James Lindsay. Dr. Lindsay, right? He's very, even in all the written portions of this, it's Dr. James Lindsay. But of course, he never explains what he's a doctorate of. And I always feel like it's worthwhile reminding people that he has a PhD in math. That's, <laughs> he's, it's not the humanities. He's not a medical doctor. He's not even a gender studies PhD. He's he's a fucking math PhD. Jody, don't you gotta remember math lets you know the universe. Well, we're gonna the find universe out. Universe is all things. Math is inherently conservative. We're gonna learn that today. So. That part's true. Yeah. <laughs> What's weird is in this one, Ezra starts with like this weird ten minute prelude to get to the James Lindsay conversation. So James Lindsay's on the call, just hanging around while, like, Ezra monologues for the first 10 minutes. And the monologue itself is just bizarre. So he starts by talking about the what he now is calling 
Muslim grooming gangs, but he has previously called Muslim rape gangs, and says that he was sort of like put on to these gangs by Tommy Robinson. So he name drops Tommy Robinson. And again, his I think former it, employee. Yeah, former employee, a person who's been arrested several times for doing all kinds of stupid shit. We don't need to get into it now. We've gone over it several times on our show. But these these gangs aren't real. So it's weird for him to bring this up in the first place. But also weird that he's switching to groomer now. Or, or is it weird? Because then he starts talking about the Hollywood uh, elites and just like the, the political elites and their grooming cultures. And he name drops Harvey Weinstein and Jeffrey Epstein and all of this is leading, this whole 10-minute prelude is leading to this idea that teachers are now grooming kids with the trans agenda. And Lindsay was kicked off Twitter for speaking out against it. Oh, wow. James Lindsay said something transphobic and got kicked from Twitter. What a, what a news story. In case you think this is it, because like, I'm, I'm describing you the 10-minute interlude because there's no way I'm going to play a 10-minute interlude here. But yeah. Lindsay immediately responds to this by basically giving the game away. Now, I should say that this is going to be a uh, a longish clip, but you know it is worth just for one seeing how like annoying Lindsay is in terms because he's going to like go. We're going to like hyper analyze what grooming means, and they're going to get like you know seem nerdy and specific because it makes them like sound intellectual. When it's like you don't need to do this. But the other part is like. This is clear. They're literally making the argument that when teachers are explaining to children LGBTQ things that they're actually trying to sexually abuse your children. And not just sexually abuse your children in some sort of mental games. No, they they are sexual abusers akin to Jeffrey Epstein, Harvey Weinstein, and made-up Muslim rape gangs. We're seeing story after story after story now of sexual abuse occurring in schools, sometimes with hundreds of victims coming across uh, many different states. And I don't think that this is wholly surprising. This isn't quite what I got kicked off of Twitter for. I was using, as you started out by saying, you know, grooming your beard or grooming your, your hair or grooming a horse. There are other meanings of the word grooming. We used to say, for example, that maybe, you know, your favorite politician, whoever it might be, maybe Mitch McConnell or somebody has groomed the successor, has kind of brought them into the fold, the way of thinking, the, the mentality that, you know, he had put forth before he retires or whatever it might be. And so there's this idea of professional grooming, and there's an idea actually of cult grooming. You don't merely, uh, you know, entice perhaps a young person or a vulnerable person for sexual exploits. You can also entice them to join a cult. And this is something that has been going on, obviously, for a very long time, probably as long as there have been people. Uh, and it's been a rampant problem in the United States. We've had the, the Scientology cult exposed. We know that the it and other cults prey upon vulnerable people who have recently moved, so they've upended their lives. But what we have going on in the schools is this kind of weird tandem uh, problem where you have a, a cult of belief about the organization of society, the social constructedness of society, about um, sex and gender and sexuality in those regards in particular, 
being taught as though it is some form of, as they call it, comprehensive sexuality education that, you know, maybe if you don't feel like a boy, even though you are a boy, then maybe you are secretly a girl. And then kind of this whole process begins. You induce this vulnerability and pull these kids into these after-school clubs and they were socially transitioning kids at school while hiding from their parents the fact that they've changed their name, changed their pronouns, or maybe even depending on the school system, are beginning to take pharmaceuticals that maybe block their puberty, maybe they're antidepressants or psychoactive drugs, maybe they eventually can include cross-sex hormones. Then the schools are facilitating this after inducing these ideas into the children's minds. And so now you have this kind of cross-purpose sex, gender, sexuality as a form of identity cult that, of course, opens up vulnerability to predation, you know, kind of physical and sexual predation, which just to bring it full circle to any other cult, the vast majority of those end up with the cult leader, you know, basically asking for people's wives and daughters for his own entertainment. So this is this is a absolute catastrophe that's happening out in the open in our schools, through our entertainment, under the guise of creating empathy and acceptance and inclusion for LGBT people, but in fact, that is mutilating the minds and eventually bodies of young people across our countries. That's not so subtle, is it? (laughs) No. Merely through the guise of teaching them empathy. We're teaching them empathy, and therefore that's just to, like, butter them up for the abuse later? Like... That they've given puberty blockers and psychoactive drugs to... (laughs) (laughs) what school (laughs) mom I want to go to shroom school (laughs) hell yeah (laughs) we're gonna learn about the third eye today (laughs) acid academy it it is it is a kind of child panic outside of the, the same sort of like QAnon panic about children as well where you're basically making it out to be that all these educators are trying to sexually abuse your kids when there really is sexual abuse in schools that like, yeah, it's very real and you should highlight it, but it's not because of the LGBTQ shit. The same shit happens in fucking religions, like <laughs> like abusive structures and, and power structures exist that abuse kids. It's just like, where's the evidence at all? It's all like in their fucking heads. Not once did they go, Here's an example of, like, teaching people about LGBTQ empathy leads to sexual abuse. Like, they don't give a shit about that. Like, that is not something that they care at all about. It really is just about the control over children aspect. Because that was, the, that was like, one of the things that he really, like, focused on was the, like, oh, they're not going to tell you, the parent, about your child changing their name and pronouns and maybe taking puberty blockers and that kind of stuff. And it's like, maybe there's a reason that certain institutions try not to out children to their parents, given that they might be listening to this kind of bullshit and then like, you know, abuse their child or like, I don't know, fucking shoot up the school or whatever. Like, But notice like how he wants to say that what's going on. And like, this is primarily what a lot of this episode is going to be about, like between mm-hmm. James and Ezra, about the parents and all that. But like, 
this idea that somehow it's like Scientology because the uh, teachers are trying to protect LBGDQ students from their parents when it's like the difference between like he tried to make some comparison in that Scientology also wants to take you from your own family, right? But like that comparison itself is so superficial when you consider that like that's not all that Scientology is doing. Scientology is also like blocking off or socially isolating you from the rest of society and totally insulating you. So it's like removing an LGBTQ uh, person from an abusive family. The teachers aren't then going, now I'm going to socially isolate you in my little corner. No, it's to free you from that to then go out into the world and interact normally with society. Or as normal yeah. as one can be, right? It's not the same fucking thing. No, but these people view children as property. So yeah. any attempt to like alter the parent-child relationship is seen as an attack on property. Like, you know, it's a case of theft more than a like case of care for another human being. It's funny because like they're not framing it that way. To them, it's like. It's the children are being sexually abused by these teachers, which is like so like I can tell why in a certain sense that is like the sort of like propagandistic move to make because it makes it about the safety of the child. But it's then it's like additionally weird that you don't provide any evidence for that because it's merely riding on this like sense that they're being abused because you are one of these parents who's being abusive to your kid you know uh it's just it's it's fucking manipulative like there's no other way to put it it's also projection which is something that we've yeah we haven't talked about in a while but you know no a lot of one of the themes of the show right so it's worth i i will play this is ezra's immediate response to what we just heard from james Lindsay. You, you know, you're you're so right. I mean, even Freud, who's regarded as by many as a, an extremist or even a pervert, even he talked about a period of latency. I mean, children are not sexual. By definition, they're in the age of innocence, uh, uh, an Eden time before the, the fall. And to inject sexuality at such a young age, I mean, here in the province of Ontario, um, they introduced the six genders. I challenge you to name which you probably know what six they're talking about. I, um, and gay isn't a gender, by the way. You tell people that and they say, well, what are the six genders? Like that, they're teaching that. They're teaching that as young as grade one. Why are you doing that? And it's got nothing to do with being straight or gay. It's about sexualizing young people. And why would you do that? Why would you break down normal barriers? And I think your cult analogy works. A lot of cults have a sexual purpose for the leader. And you break down norms, for example, monogamy norms. No, well, the boss of the cult gets to have sex with everyone. Well, what are these other norms that are being broken down by sexualizing children? I think that is the phrase grooming. You're you're breaking someone down and reforming them. Now, you, there can be good grooming, like you said, Mitch McConnell is grooming his successor. You're, he's teaching them all the ways, and he's going to pass the baton to him. And it's, you know, it's improve. It's like a mentor and a protege. But the kind of grooming in a cult and the kind of grooming in in these sex or orientation hypersexual school classes, it is designed to to t- turn the student into an object of sexuality. I believe that. 
Gay isn't a gender, Jody. They? Even even Ezra knows that. That they is not a gender? That gay is not a gender. Oh, well. We, but I mean, like, sexual orientation stuff is one thing. But, like, I, like again, like, it's so stupid. It's like fucking Disney films with, like, princesses and princes. And, like, what do you... Th- and, like, the marriage and... Blah, like, all that's, like... All of that has some connection to sexual sexuality uh, writ large. It, it's even, like, at the beginning of what he said, he mentioned Freud. <laughs> As... <laughs> As a, he called him a pervert or like whatever, but like the children, they're innocent. And it's like, why are you going back to discredited people that just like are like as someone myself with a a degree in psychology, the only time I was taught Freud was in intro to psychology only to note that like, here's Freud. (laughs) And then we moved on. It was the first day of class. And then that, that was it because let me tell you, nothing that Freud said was true. He pretty much was wrong about everything. You could use them sociologically in many ways. I think there's some people who like like to use Freudian analysis on various things. But like strictly speaking about psychology and human development, Freud is up his own ass. Let's, uh, let's just put it that way. He also thought your nose had something to do with masturbation. Tons of fun. He's a fun guy when you look him up. <laughs> I think he killed someone by having uh, their nose operated on unnecessarily to curb a masturbation addiction. So he's a he's a fun dude. I mean, it it worked. What? <laughs> Say what you will about him. That's true. Can't His masturbate methods work. Dead. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's just it's so all of this is just so blatantly stupid, and yet like it has somehow convinced a lot of people and it really is it's just it's appealing to their felt idea of what the norms of society should be it really it's like an emotional state that all these people are like in and like when you when you're trying to challenge those norms they feel uncomfortable and they don't like it and that's all that's going on here and yet and it, and like that's why it's like it's so funny because there it's like you get this vague sense like there's an argumentative structure going on in what they're saying here, but there there is no argument here. They're just going, they're trying to say that LGBTQ is okay. And I'm like, yeah, they are. And they're like, and therefore it's bad. And I'm like, no, it's not. But then they, they don't have an argument for that <laughs> other than like norms or something, you know? Or the additional to like try to somehow make it about child sexual abuse or something. So Lindsay says a bunch of shit that that uh, I wish was more in depth and we could have a conversation about it. But he responds by saying that this destruction of the social norms in terms of like uh, family structure, etc. is the result of the Marxist tradition that are trying to destroy social norms. And he connects this with Herbert Marcuse and then the sexual revolution. He he then also says that Lenin and Mao both used sexual liberation, but eventually had to turn it off because it was too powerful and too destabilizing. But that is all he says. And I am not adept enough at Lenin or Mao to know what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, 
I'm trying to think of like anything really, and nothing's coming to mind. Uh, not like within their lifetimes, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. But, yeah. <laughs> so he says these things. I'm pretty sure, sh- like, as someone who I'm sure has read a lot more about Lennon and Mal than James Lindsay has, I, I don't know where the fuck he got this from. The other thing I wanted to comment on was like he talked about like before the fall type of thing oh yeah like they're in their age of innocence and whatever and it's like that's very christian language dude like that's not how jews perceive that from my understanding you should just convert and get it over with that's (laughs) it's yeah right like it's just more and more i'm just like are you secretly a christian like because there's been just so much over the past few months that's just like you're basically already there it's weird too because like to link it back to to what i was saying about the sexual revolution and stuff like this there's like an inherent prudishness in their analysis and yet it's like like you can have criticisms with like the sexual revolution or if things going too far like uh you know they didn't have a good analysis of consent back then or even like aspects of gender equality back then that we have a better understand, like at least in terms of like people talking about it, there's a, a slightly better cultural understanding of those things. So it's like, yes, there was some like overzealousness in the sexual revolution that led to a lot of harm and problems, right? But the lesson to learn from that is not to say like we should go back to like puritanical religion, uh, Christian conservatism. It's to like learn from that and continue to grow and better ourselves. But he continues on with the, the Marxist critique, which is that the idea is that just just like he brought up Scientology, Marxism is also a cult because it's trying to destroy social norms. And when you destroy social norms, what you're really trying to destroy is the family. So if you're <laughs> he basically describes it uh, that if you're trying to educate kids to think differently than their parents, uh, you know, then you're destroying the norms of society and you're going to get societal collapse, basically. Where I'm like, why are you assuming that the traditional position is correct? Like, isn't that what you should be arguing for? They should have a whole thing here where they're like, being traditional, being Christian conservative, that's what we need to fight for right now. But they never, like, make that argument. And it's so frustrating. And then with that, they let the transphobia and the homophobia do all the heavy lifting because it's just, it's all, it's an all of feelings argument here. I should just fill in here. Well, I think like what's going on here, all with the parent isolating, the reason why they're focusing all on that too is uh, because they want to avoid the question where most abuse happens in the home, you know? And that's something that none of these people ever discuss. Uh, and, And that is worth highlighting. You shouldn't have to stay with your family if they're being abusive to you. No, but that's, again, because they don't actually give a shit about the, like, abuse. Yeah. They just want children to be the property of their parents forever and ever. No, it's, it's, it's just so fucking gross. Like, that's, like, yeah. Anyways, just worth uh, yeah. rubbing all that in. But eventually, they bring it back around. The, the Twitter thing, why is James Lindsay kicked off Twitter? I, and again, they keep highlighting that it's a groomer. It has something to do with him saying groomer. The only thing that I could find, I looked into it was that he responded to a trans professor at Harvard named Alejandra Carabello. She was calling him racist. 
And he responded to her tweet calling him a racist for something racist he was saying. He responded by saying that she is uh, a child sexualization specialist. She teaches cyber law. Not that it matters, but she, she teaches cyber law, okay? At a university. So I don't know how that makes uh, her a child sexualization specialist, unless what you're trying to say is that the mere fact that she's trans makes her a child uh, sexualization specialist, which in that case, you're violating Twitter's terms of service. And that's why he lost his account. Yeah. It wasn't simply because he said groomer or some other shit that uh, they're trying to highlight on the show. So now Ezra wants to highlight some of Lindsay's greatest hits on Twitter. <laughs> Cause that's what you do when you're interviewing someone. And one of these tweets has a video in it. And Ezra plays the video. Now, I want to stipulate right up front that I did no editing to this clip, but you are going to hear a hard cut in the middle. And that's important for later. But I just wanted to acknowledge that now. This is not my trickery. This is Ezra just playing this edited clip on his show. You yourself have been banned. You had quite a large Twitter following. You were literally banned for using the word grooming to describe this. I want to show, you said so many interesting things. I want to show some proof points. Here's a video uh, from a hospital basically saying, yeah, we're going to work. You just say the word and we're going to get right in. Here's a video. I, I believe this is from a Boston hospital. Take a look at this. A child will often know that they are transgender from the moment that they have any ability to express themselves. And parents will often tell us this. We have parents who tell us that their kids, they knew from the minute they were born practically and actions like refusing to get a haircut or standing to urinate, trying to stand to urinate, refusing to stand to urinate, trying on siblings' clothing, uh, playing with the quote opposite gender toys, things like that. There is more and more a group of adolescents that we are seeing that really are coming to the realization that they might be trans or gender diverse a little bit later on in their life. So what we're seeing from them is that they always sort of knew something was maybe off and didn't have the understanding to know that they might be trans or have a different gender identity than the one they had been assigned. So that is a, a growing population that they are that we are seeing and that's being recognized as being trans and able to be treated. Gender-affirming hysterectomy is very similar to most hysterectomies that occur. A hysterectomy itself is the removal of the uterus, the cervix, which is the opening of the uterus, and the fallopian tubes, which are attached to the sides of the uterus. Some gender-affirming hysterectomies will also include the removal of the ovaries, but that's technically a separate procedure called a bilateral oophorectomy. And not every gender-affirming hysterectomy includes that, and people who are getting gender-affirming hysterectomies do not have to have their ovaries removed. The idea of uh, teachers deliberately doing this and hiding things from parents and even dispensing drugs, this is not a conspiracy theory. A lot of these teachers boast about it. They're just like talking about possibilities for gender affirming care. That's it. So the, the best part is because this is Boston's Children's Hospital that did this. Okay. Oh, okay. This now, is the one that got like crazy harassment. And why it got crazy harassment was because Libs of TikTok posted that clip to Facebook, which splices two different videos into one. Now, the one video is obviously talking about how we're learning that uh, you could possibly tell whether someone's trans long before we previously thought that that was possible in various ways because people are exhibiting gendered behavior at a very young age, right? So that was like the first part of the video. The second video was just talking about like 
what are the possible things that people can do in terms of gender-affirming care, uh, including a hysterectomy in this case? But that was an educational video. But what Libs of TikTok yeah. did in splicing together made it seem like there, it was a children's hospital that was performing hysterectomies on children. This is not the case, okay? And this is how Ezra quasi like characterizes it in this, that like they're doing this to kids. No, they're not. That's <laughs> they're not doing this to kids at all. Uh, it was a manipulated video, purposefully done, and as you pointed out, Boston's Children's Hospital has now been inundated with violent threats against them. This is entirely a side note, and about the first part of the video, um, where it was like, oh wow, one of those gendered behaviors is standing up to pee. Everybody should just sit down to piss. There was a sign at an event that I went to on the um, unisex bathroom, like, five years ago and the the sign has literally never left my mind and it said stand up for your rights but sit down to piss <laughs> problem solved there like but also just like let your kids wear what they want let them play with what they want sit down to piss though i was gonna say sometimes camping uh i'm gonna stand <laughs> I'll, I'll engage in a little gendered behavior while I'm camping, I guess. Coward. A coward? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I, so here's the thing. This is, it's a very long episode with James Lindsay. I skipped a whole bunch of it here that we don't need to get into. It's very, it gets very repetitive. So, you know, more about, like, kids being separated from their families, blah, blah, blah. They play a whole bunch of libs of TikTok videos that are super benign. We played a couple, like, last week, I think it was. Like, these things are super benign. It's not worth, like, going over each one. He then also yeah. plays the Bill Maher clip where Bill Maher talks about how being trans is now trendy and, like, all the trans people are in California because that's where, like, the trans parents are, like, somehow convincing their kids to be trans or something <laughs> where ohio they're teaching them to be like mill rights <laughs> so we get more of this shit and so ezra wants to go into the the trans is trendy territory again so after playing the bill maher clip ezra says that conservatives underestimate how much they are influenced by their peers i think that we underestimate how powerful persuasion and peers are and I think that that's not something that people on the right think about a lot. We're just numbers and, you know, physics and math. We're not feelings and peer pressure and emotion and, and compliance. But if anything, if we've learned anything from the last two years of lockdowns, it's that the herd mentality and being in the in-group is the most powerful thing in the world. And that's what's going on with this, with this grooming. All we've gotten since the start of this interview is nothing but, like, emotions regarding, like, the family structure and about their ickiness towards LGBTQ stuff. And yet then they want to turn around and go, no, see, conservatives are all about, like, those facts and logic, no emotion, all about the math. That's all, that's all what conservatives do, you know? They're not the ones whipped up down at the city council thinking that the vaccines are putting like mind control drugs into their children. Nope, that's not conservatives. Jody, that's simple math right there. Yeah. <laughs> I also wondered if he was like buttering up James Lindsay for being the math PhD. Don't worry, Matt. All them smart math, math and physics types, they, <laughs> they all vote conservative. 
I wish Ezra would put on a southern accent. Oh. When he was... <laughs> it's so like this like fits in with the whole like Ben Shapiro facts logic, and it's just like I'm sorry, it's not true. I don't know why this like became true, or it's like there's tons of logical people who also have an appreciation for the humanities, which is maybe the thing that's like missing here. Like conservatives are a problem because they're they're so up their own ass. They never like reconsider that maybe they are just running on emotion or they never think about like, maybe I should take into consideration other human beings. Like these are thoughts that never occur to conservatives. And that's the problem. It's not that you're too facts and logic. It's that you're a fucking idiot and you're abusive to people. <laughs> that's the problem. <sighs> but it's true. It's like when the conservatives are like, we can't help people. We can't give people student loan relief. We can't like, they're just always like nothing to do with humanity. Leave me alone. I want to live on my own libertarian lifestyle. The government suck. Blah, blah, like, and then in terms of facts and logic, when do they ever come with arguments? When have you heard Ezra make an actual argument on this fucking show? It's always like, Oh, man, they're teaching your kids that being gay is okay. How does that make you feel? You're right. What he should be doing is, oh, wow, the teachers are telling you it's okay to be gay. How does that make you math? <laughs> what does that add up to? <laughs> uh, conservatives just doing equations while they're having sex with their wives. <laughs> yeah, they're, it's, a, it's a physics problem. <laughs> velocity and uh oh my god mass um this acute angle is making me hard (laughs) (laughs) oh my god hey babe can you make your legs more obtuse please (laughs) (laughs) oh all right okay I, uh... Sex is only for multiplication. <laughs> well, it's in the Bible! <laughs> that's that's his conservative arc. The, the sex math is in the Bible. It is. That's true. I don't have this clipped, but eventually Ezra goes on to compare the, the trans trendiness to suicidal contagions. So, like, I don't know if you're aware of this, like, a bunch of people have done studies on this, which is that, like, if there's a suicide that happens and it gets a lot of media coverage, there's, like, copycat suicides kind of thing. Yeah. Now, he says he says this and he compares it to being trans that I guess, like, you make one trans person publicly visible and then just everyone's transing it up. Uh, <laughs> where, like... Part of that is, like, maybe that's true, but maybe that's a good thing. Like, again, it's missing the other element of, like, why is this a bad thing? They just assume that it's bad, right? But this is how James Lindsay responds to this. He he goes on a long thing about... Uh, uh, well, he just decides to riff on it. Because, you know, you want to riff on uh, suicidal contagion, he's going to go on a long thing. So I'm going to play it. It's a bit of, a, again, a, like a longish clip. But uh, it goes weird. I'll just say it goes weird. Yeah, you mentioned actually suicide clusters, and that makes me feel like I should point out that, in fact, that level of grooming is happening as well to kind of connect many of the dots that you just put together in the program that they're calling social and emotional learning, which should raise the hair on the back of everybody's neck. 
they actually do repeated surveys of children about how they feel about their social and emotional circumstances in life. In fact, it's required by law under the Every Student Succeeds Act in the United States that they survey these children and gather lots of information about them. And one of the questions that they often ask these young kids is, I mean, many times throughout a single school year in surveys, do you think about suicide? How often do you think about suicide? These kinds of things. So you talk about implanting those ideas into these kids' heads who are allegedly at-risk kids because they have to be classified at risk to receive the money that comes in from the federal government through, say, ESSER three funding or the CARES Act, which is misappropriated pandemic money coming in under the, the guise of helping them psychologically and socio, uh, socially. Allegedly, they've been injured by the trauma of the pandemic, and therefore you have to intervene this way. But they ask them repeatedly, are you suicidal? Do you feel suicidal? And they, they say that this is for prevention. But in, as a matter of fact, it plants the idea. Then there's this program that is, is often tied in with this. The World Economic Forum advertises it as one of its chief ed tech success stories. It's called the Trevor Project. The Trevor Project um, is supposed to be a suicide prevention hotline that children can use, especially if they're LGBTQ is the point. And it has all kinds of features that enable them to have these ongoing dialogues, which are always gender affirming, that are always, you know, this kind of queer theory affirming grooming behavior. I, in fact, get in trouble for calling it the Groomer Project instead of the Trevor Project. And it has features that where at a push of a button, the child can completely delete the entire chat history so that no parent can ever find it. It has all kinds of this kind of uh, stuff built into it. And it's very suspicious that you have people, again, anonymously talking to children in a very vulnerable state to affirm their feelings about sex, gender, and sexuality that they claim that they're having. And then it's built and designed to be able to hide from the parents. And this is a selling point to the children. He sort of like went off on like a weird tangent there at the end because like I I thought he was coming around to say that they were also by suggestion like convincing people to be trans by merely talking about it just like merely talking about suicide apparently convinces people to commit suicide. Like he framed the whole like wow they do surveys that like you know ask you about your mental health and that's awful about their feelings and emotions and social situations. How evil and sinister. Well, did you like the how he begin how he framed it at the beginning? He's like this social and learning survey, social and emotional learning survey, and that that word alone should make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. <laughs> you know, because God forbid we understand the social and emotional way that people uh, learn and experience things. That would be terrifying. Sounds scary. The thing too. His, like, appreciation of child brains is so silly here. Like, the the reason why suicide becomes contagious is usually the sort of, like, emotional valence of how it's, like, portrayed in terms of, like, like, I've often heard it in terms of, like, like, it's someone at school that people know who have a history with, and like, right? Or it's like a celebrity or a figure, etc., that has like an emotional valence to people. If you just ask people a question on a survey about how they feel or whether they have suicidal ideation, like, of course, there's a concern that you will cause distress or maybe like, but like, if that really is all it took for that kind of social contagion, people would just be fucking offing themselves nonstop. <laughs> like, <laughs> if that's all it took. Yeah, it. 
And then how could you ever learn whether or not someone needs the, any help in the first place? Because merely asking someone how they feel <laughs> could trigger them to do, like, exhibit the things, apparently. Asking somebody if they are, you know, attempting to help people not commit suicide is the thing that makes them commit suicide, actually. Like, you know, otherwise, you know, they would just kill themselves, so... That's <laughs> like what? I just don't I don't get the thinking behind this at all. No, it was just such a weird tangent. And, and just like he tried to bring it back to trans stuff at the end there. I love how he calls the the Trevor Project a World Economic Forum uh thing and all that. And it's like god forbid. And then again like he hits the parenting thing, but like yes, you want to know why the Trevor Project is doing this because of people like you. That's why they're hiding it from you. Uh yeah. Just a heads up. You're the reason, James. <laughs> you and Ezra are both the reason why they do that. So this is another uh, long winding road. But I, I couldn't believe this. Lindsay then goes off on this other tangent. And he thinks that part of the plan in making people trans is so that they become lifelong pharmaceutical patients, which therefore will create activists in favor of socialized health care. <laughs> There's another academic paper that I read recently in a major journal, not some fringe journal, it's in the journal Curriculum Inquiry, which is in the leading journal of curriculum and education. And it was called Drag Pedagogy. It came out in the beginning of the year last year, 2021. Drag Pedagogy, and it talks about the use of drag queen story hour. And in fact, in that paper, I, I urge people to go look this up and read it. It's actually open access. It's free. Anybody can read it. You don't have to have an account. You can just go look up Drag Pedagogy by Little Miss Hot Mess. I'm not kidding. And you can read this paper. And they say in there that they, they use the fact that, it indu that, that, they, that the idea of generating LGBT empathy as a selling point, as a marketing strategy. But, of course, that's not what it's really for. They say that in the paper. They actually tell you that. They say that they market it as being family-friendly. But what they actually mean is family in the sense of the queer family on the street that you leave your real family for. This is things that they're actually putting in writing and publishing in academic journals about what they're doing with children. And it's just grotesque to see millions upon millions of people just falling for it by not taking literally a small number of minutes, an hour out of their day to go look into this and read about it before they get militant about it like an idiot on social media. Uh, so I encourage people to go look at that. This is not what it seems. And the Trevor Project is not what it seems. And this suicide kind of mental illness, self-harm, anorexia, but then transition kind of cult grooming that's been taking place on social media for many years, that many, many children have been harmed and pulled into, that now involves this kind of, you know, kind of alleged magical pathway out of all your troubles through becoming a lifelong pharmaceutical patient, which will, in the end, force you to have expensive lifelong medical care, which will force you to agitate for socialist single-payer medicine uh, when you, just like they agitate for student loan forgiveness. See? Just push you to that socialized medicine. <laughs> and student loan forgiveness. And student loan forgiveness. And this was before the student loan forgiveness was announced, so James Lindsay was on the pulse. <laughs> the only reason uh, Joe, Joe Brandon did it was because we're all trans now. <laughs> Biden uses an executive order to get rid of gender markers in the entire United States. <laughs>
Come on, they. <laughs> oh, it's it's so fucking. I don't like. There was a moment there when I feared like his brain broke, and he was like anorexia, and this, he's just like throwing out shit. It's like, what are you doing? It's not that complicated. Like life is complicated, but it's not that complicated. Yeah, for someone that supposedly spends a lot of like time reading about this stuff, you know. It's the same with, like, the Hegel and Marx shit, where he's just, like, making stuff up. Well, like, the drag queen pedagogy thing, he, his only objection to this scholarly work is to be, like, they, they encourage empathy. Think about how horrifying yeah. that is, Fiano. They encourage empathy. I'm terrified. People are gonna go around caring about other people, Vieno? What does this world come to? So, of course, because uh, James Lindsay brought up the drag tea, uh, time story hour stuff, Ezra wants to, to say one last thing about this, and this will be the final clip we play from this godforsaken uh, discussion, interview, whatever the fuck you want to call it. And it starts with, I guess, Ezra wants to make what I would call a weird anecdotal analogy. So he talks about a 16-year-old who worked for Rebel, when they were in Montreal at the time when their boat was raided. What they did, because Ezra isn't going to mention it, they were violating COVID restrictions near the beginning of the pandemic by renting an Airbnb boat that they then brought to some Montreal anti-vaccine protest. And the police raided their boat. So apparently one of their crew members, who was a 16-year-old girl, was uh, interrogated by the police, okay? So Ezra wants to talk about that, and he wants to use what happened to their 16-year-old employee to somehow make an analogy about just like her being interrogated by the police is as bad as parents who consensually bring their child to a family-friendly drag queen event. It makes me think uh, about a year ago, we had an incident with the Montreal police and uh, we're suing them. And uh, one of the things they did is we had a teenager with our team uh, who was 16 at the time, and the police separated her from the rest of us, searched her uh, belongings, and interrogated her. And we were calling out against us, but we were not permitted to intervene. And the idea of police uh, interrogating and searching a minor child without a guardian there is outrageous to me, and it's one of the things we're suing over. Now, she was a savvy 16-year-old, and it was it was not an extended period of time but it still deeply outrages me that the police would do that and imagine and that's a 16 year old basically having her civil rights violated but imagine a 10 11 12 13 14 year old being separated from a guardian and subject to someone else's agenda not once for 10 minutes or 20 minutes but every week for years hidden from guardians if it outrages me that our 16 year old colleague was treated this way surely it should outrage us that six-year-old ten-year-olds are being treated this way in these drag queen events where children and i say to people who say you know and i know that they kicked you off of twitter because they elided the word groomer with an anti-gay epithet but I say to people who are having trouble understanding that, would you feel any better 
if minor children were taken to heterosexual strip clubs? Would you feel any better if a 10-year-old girl was taken to a strip club where women strippers were stripping naked? It would be just as inappropriate, and we would call that child trafficking. So they had a minor go and break the law. Yep. And then we're like, oh, like, they're not legal guardians. That's not how legal guardianship works, just because they are an employee of yours. Yep. In fact, they probably separated them from them, from, like, the Rebel News team, because that kid was a minor. (laughs) Yeah, they, so, weird, I mean, not weird given the history of Rebel News, they often try to hire very young staff, uh, including young women it's you know lauren southern uh, faith goldie all this fun stuff uh, it's a very common technique of theirs we even have i mean uh cat and nat right now that work from them are both like in their 20s but like the idea is like they go for young and try to indoctrinate them so like i don't know why this like 16 year old is hanging around but it's like funny in terms of the indoctrination you want to talk about grooming i don't know getting them involved in your fascistic cult seems a little bit weird but then, like, yeah, you brought them to an event where the reason why you rented an Airbnb boat was because you thought you could skirt the COVID rules and then, like, got arrested for doing so because even though you thought you were skirting those rules, you weren't, and you're an idiot. <laughs> so you endangered a 16-year-old during a global pandemic. Way to go. Great, great technique there. You're You're... You should be looked at as the moral of virtue and not, I don't know, parents who take their kids to drag queens that read your children's stories. Like, and the other thing, too, is like, you know, it's a minor with a group of unrelated adults that were just caught committing crimes. You probably don't want to ask the kid, like, hey, we're probably going to have to call your parents or whatever. You know, in front of the unrelated adults who do have some manner of control over her life. I mean, there's a lot ambiguous here. I'm like, is it Ezra's yeah. kid? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that, I don't know. that's the other weird thing. Like, I don't even know if Ezra has kids, to be honest. So I'm pretty sure he does. Yeah, I think so. But it's like, I don't care because like they're until they're like in their 20s and like on the air. I don't, I don't care about. Them. Yeah. And, you know, obviously fuck cops like they're not good yeah man like and we said that at the time too because that was the time where they like uh i mean they were being rough on menzies i mean menzies was being a jerk but like he complained about his hip and then they (laughs) pushed it to the point where it didn't sound uh pleasant so yeah so yeah fuck fuck the cops but it's it's just like the analogy is so like they're trying so hard so hard to to like make this a bad thing because it is hard for them to make this argument because at the end of the day it really just comes down to do you think that being lgbtq is okay and the only way their arguments work is if it's not okay to be lgbtq yeah and they try to pretend like they're not bigoted there's no way that they're bigoted but every single time we cover this topic on the show it all boils down to that and they leave the rest up to like how you feel right they're implying that like this is bad why is it bad because lgbtq bad right because that's how you feel they don't say that but that is everything about these pieces every single time yeah 
and I hate it because it's like they then get to play this game where like, well, you ne- you can never get me like on camera saying I hate LGBTQ people. But like, listen to what we just played on this show. How like the mere act of teaching people empathy is seen as bad and seen as like predating on them to become child sexual abuse victims. Yeah. No, it's just so stupid. And and dangerous. Like the only reason I talk about this, like is because it's having a real world effect. They like to pretend that it isn't. It really is. These bills are being our our friend locally is having to leave the country because she got swatted over this shit. And it's it's frustrating. So shall we go to the fun topic? <laughs> oh joy. Fun topic. So Sheila was the host on the 18th. She opens the opening segment isn't that interesting. I guess Romana Dudulo, the uh, official queen of Canada, <laughs> uh, apparently yes. was uh, her followers were doing citizens arrests in Peterborough, and Sheila agrees that that's wrong, but then blames the the creation of someone like Dudulo on uh, the government for creating COVID policies. And so they're like, her existence is your fault, is kind of the argument. And then she criticizes the, the Peterborough mayor for using some spicy language uh, in talking about Queen Dadula. So, or Dadulo. Yeah, either way. Who cares? Silly topic. Uh, and I have nothing to say. Do you have anything to say? No. Now we get to the fun story. Okay, so she then chats with rebel employee... Jeremy Lafredo. He is one of the more recent ones who's like an American correspondent. He was on to talk about a Pennsylvania Amish farmer named Amos Miller. I figured that I would just play his setup and get your thoughts on it rather than giving my own preamble. So this is Jeffrey Lafredo's depiction of the story that we're going to learn about. There's this farmer in in bird in hand, Pennsylvania. And, you know, it's a very old Amish village um, in central Pennsylvania, um, pretty remote, kind of far from everything else. And um, there's a farmer named Amos Miller, and he's been farming for, you know, 25 years. Um, No electricity, um, no fertilizer, no gasoline. Um, He has really, really impressive um, crop yields using only the only the oldest of methods um totally organic he has milk he has beef he has um different types of sheep he has chicken all types of vegetables and he has a private buyers club of about four thousand people all across the country that pay him top dollar for his food and um the government doesn't like this idea of a private buyers club um they have um raided his farm with armed federal agents and they have said he needs to stop selling his meat until he gets regulated um, by the federal uh, agencies whose job it is to, you know, regulate food. Um, and he says, you know, the way you guys regulate it, um, it kind of um, hurts the nutrition of the food. You know, you wash it in these things, you, you go to these, um, you give them these um, vaccines, the, the cows get all types of medicine. I don't do any of that. Um, so I think if going through your regulatory process will actually hurt the quality of my food. Um, and that's what I'm being paid top dollar for is this high quality food. Um, so they are uh, fining him hundreds of thousands of dollars. 
Um, and they've actually sent armed federal agents there to take inventory of his meat and of his dairy. And um, they visit him to make sure that he's not selling anything and that he's not um, ramping up his production in any way. Um, so that's where he is now. He's figuring out um, how to fight the federal government, what he's going to do. And, you know, he's been put in this really tight spot along with the people who, um, uh, you know, look for him, look to him for this food. They, they're not getting their meat and dairy right now because of the government. So a fun fact about Amish people. Uh, they are the, like, one of the largest demographics that run puppy mills uh, in Canada and the U.S., so, you know, not exactly known for what might be called ethical or clean or good treatment of animals, necessarily. Um, in the context of this, that's a little bit like, hmm, how are you raising large herds of a lot of different animals? And then also not like you know, vaccinating them or anything like that. Sounds like it could be a possible health hazard, which, wow, amazingly, there are agencies to look into. <laughs> I like you laughed because I, I honestly didn't catch this when I first listened to it, but when he's like regulated by, you know, the people who are in charge of food regulations. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that. <laughs> Now, obviously, there's something about this private membership club that we're going to get to in a bit. Like, all, there's all these moving parts, but like, yeah, it seems like the the issue here is uh, the fact that your your production of this product is not regulated, and so federal authorities want to make sure that you're you're doing things in a proper way. I like like what were the things that he complained about? He complained about like washing, and I'm just like, so, and he doesn't specify what like washing the meat or like. Or washing anything about the facilities or like butcher like none of this is described like so like no washing and then vaccines and medicine and like one thing to highlight with this too in terms of like why it might be regulated such that you should give animals medicine or vaccines is because if a cow gets sick and is infected by something not only does that uh, you know in like change the quality of the meat but could also like have certain aspects of the environment the cow is in that's still infected that could remain on the meat when it goes to market or even if they're dairy producing cows that could be like pus and shit that's in your milk and cause infections yep. and like there's a reason why this is regulated <laughs> okay we got sort of like the outline so now to further add to the story i am going to play Sheila's response to what we just heard. So we just heard Jeremy Lafredo give the spiel. Here's how Sheila begins the sort of riffing on what's going on here. You know, this is crazy because it sounds like he's farming exactly how the way the government would like the rest of us farmers to farm. Um, no fertilizer, no gasoline, no diesel, no electricity, no fossil fuels, no problems. <laughs> he's doing exactly... He's doing exactly what the World Economic Forum would like him to do as a farmer. Somehow he's making go, go of it. God bless him. Um, but they're still cracking down on him. And what you've described, I think, would be a, a cooperative where he has this private buyer's club. He's not selling anything into the food supply sneakily. 
right? Like I, I think that's where I you would think that regulators would get upset where, you know, this this certain kind of food is ending up in the food supply along with the other inspected food and and so they should step in then. But people are actually seeking him out specifically. <laughs> because yeah, uh, there's that's, a, that's a great of point. the way he the way he purchases it or the way he produces it. So, um, you know, n- nobody is involved in this unwittingly or unwillingly. Us farmers. That uh, was a line that Sheila said. She might be good. She's an Alberta lady. It, it's possible. She's got farm in those genetics. <laughs> It's interesting how, like, obfuscated the the term farmer is also, just because it's like, hmm, this could refer to, I'm a major landowner, and food happens to be grown on the land that I own, and then it is harvested by migrant slave labor. Or it could refer to those migrant slave laborers. Yeah, I should say as well, this, uh... It's they never state it, and it's something that I didn't have prepared in my notes. But his Amos Miller's farm is like a multi-million dollar industry, and he's expanded to multiple different like farms. Like he's feeding over four thousand people, according to what they said. Uh, yeah, it could be more than that. So it's like he's he's got a he's got a big old farm industry going on here. And sometimes four thousand people can be dumb. They make a big deal about this, like unwittingly, unwillingly, all this stuff. And we're going to get to some of that in a second. But, like, Lafredo's, like, next move is he said that, like, the people even signed a waiver when they purchased this food. But, like, that aside, like, even if you take sort of, like, Sheila's assessment here about there being, like, oh, the, the this food that's unregulated isn't in the supermarkets where it, like, should be regulated. So all the people coming to get the food know what they're signing up for. They know there's a risk of bacterial infection. <laughs> <laughs> whatever she's saying think about like how that would work practically like what you're saying is that you're allowed to have a completely like you could have a a market where you sell regulated food products that everyone knows are reasonably safe and you can have this fun fancy unregulated market where you roll the dice and you can, <laughs> right now of course that's not how society works but on top of it, can you imagine a scenario in which you just had like this second tier of people buying unregulated food products? What kind of strain that would have on society outside of people just like unwittingly making poor choices? And shitting themselves to death? You know, because it's not like, are they are they going to go to their hospitals? Or like, you know what I mean? There's so many things. Or like, you know, if there's an outbreak of something, you want to trace it back to something? Like, there's so many reasons why they want this to be regulated that has nothing to do with somebody going, well, I personally am willing to take the risk for a staph infection. Give me that beef, you know? like. <laughs> God. Yeah. Yeah, like, and you know, some diseases that are passed on by animals are spreadable from human to human. Like, you know, if there's parasites or if it's like, I don't know, fucking like salmonella or whatever. Or, you like, know, a thing that just happened recently through zoonotic transmission that took over the entire globe, you know. <laughs> no idea what you could be referring to there, Jody. <laughs> there's been multiple throughout human history. I mean, one's that didn't after come the from swine. Amish farms. Yeah. <laughs> 
Those Amish know what they're doing. No zoonotic diseases there. I will play one last clip, and I will acknowledge that this comes at the end of their conversation. So if you think about it, they've been chatting about, they go on about how he's a pacifist, that the Amish are pacifist, how dare they come with their guns, etc., etc. That's most of the conversation. I have no reason to clip that, so I'm just going to ignore it. But at the end, Sheila sort of pitches this question to Jer uh, Jeffrey, which is like, they've been going at Amos Miller for a while. And this is how Jeffrey, at the end of this uh, discussion decides to explain the history of how, how this thing started to develop. A couple of years ago, um, they tried to shut him down using uh, similar logic, and um, he did not shut down. And they actually took a, a sample of his, of his milk and said that they found a similar bacteria in his milk that was biologically similar, which is the, uh, the term they used, to a um, listeria sample that they took from someone who died of listeria in Florida. That's what they said, they died of listeria. This person, um, this person actually died of leukemia. You know, they had cancer. Um, and so they're, they're really pulling um, all of the strings and they're, they're trying to, um, you know, make whatever, th throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. You know, is this a listeria outbreak? Um, are they um, not inspecting their meat properly? You know, whatever they can come up with, the federal government, they're using to try to get this guy out of business. Um, and even the family came out um, who supposedly, you know, the mother supposedly died of listeria. The, the family came out and said she died of cancer. And, and we, we don't like that the government is using, um, you know, our mother as a, as, as a way to try to sh uh, shut this farm down. We, we appreciated all of, his, all of his food and all of his uh, work. And we don't think that his food led to our mother who had leukemia, led to her death. Just quick little thing from the CDC website um, for listeria. An estimated 1,600 people get listeriosis each year, uh, which is caused by eating food contaminated with the listeria bacterium, uh, and about 260 die. The infection is most likely to sicken pregnant women and their newborns, adults aged 65 or older, and people with weakened immune systems. You mean people who might also have cancer? Yeah, and be old enough to be... Um, adults who are whining about the government uh, not letting them get bad food. <laughs> that This is like the, the prototypical sort of like de disease denialist. We saw it all throughout COVID, which is that it's not COVID that kills you. It's the comorbidities. So whenever there's a comorbidity present, they can play these like, like loose and fast games to like change what the cause is, what the ultimate cause is. You see this even with AIDS denialists that because like AIDS is something that attacks, it's an immune disorder and it attacks the immune system, that therefore no one dies of AIDS. What they die of is like being infected with a cold or a flu. But then that allows the AIDS denialist to say, well, therefore you didn't die of AIDS. Therefore, there's nothing wrong with AIDS. When it's like, no, it's like if you get a cold and you have AIDS, you're likely not, or like if you have a cold but you don't have AIDS, you're likely not going to die. You have a cold, you get AIDS, you're, it increases that risk, right? And of course, like yeah. we have modern treatments now, but like the, the point is, is like you can always like when there's two things happening at once, pick the thing that you want to, to, to say is the true cause and ignore from the other. So it's like, yes, this person likely both had cancer and was infected with listeria. And like... I don't know anything about the family. I don't know if what he's saying here is true. And part of that is because the person is behind a public case. Like they don't announce the person's name. 
the, the federal agents don't. So in none of the legal documents could I find any information as to the accuracy of what Jer uh, Jeremy Jeffrey, I keep, maybe I'm saying his name wrong. Uh, anyways, I could f it's uh, Jeremy, sorry. I, I could find no indication that what he's saying here is true. But I could also imagine a scenario where the family is also involved in this like, freedom type movement libertarian freedom movement and wanting to to do this and therefore supporting their family members decision even if uh they actually did die from the lysteria yeah i mean that's probably the thing right like if the whole family's eating this way of course they're not going to be like oh the food that we bought for our <laughs> sick and dying mom <laughs> killed her this is the other thing. So I was reading articles about what this is called the alternative food movement. And so a lot of them get into this in the same way that people get into alternative medical care treatments. So it's like they believe they were poisoned. But the reason why you had your cancer was because of the modern food industry or something like this. And that's why they get into this stuff. Right. Uh, and like there might be some truth to that or whatnot, but it's like. In terms of like, yes, there's like meat causes cancer, et cetera. Like, <laughs> welcome to, to the universe. Most right? cancers are environmental. Whoa. Right. But but the point is, is that people like cope with these things in various ways. And that's why when the alternative food movement or the alternative medical movement can come in there and be like, oh, the real cause was this thing. And you got to try our thing because it's magical and wonderful, even though it's all it's snake oil salesmen. It's what's going on there. Right. Which is another reason why you want to regulate it, right? Because it's like when Sheila talks about this, like people get into it willingly. How willing is that when you're being lied to by a con artist that wants you to buy their snake oil, right? Do you really have the facts and evidence there? Which is why it's like, it's almost like what they're arguing is like, we need no standards. We should allow everyone to just lie about all the products they're selling. And there should be no recourse for that because it's you're an idiot for believing a liar when you purchase their product and you die. And it's like we already agreed that that's not a good system. They had that system for a while. A lot of people died of foodborne illnesses or from medicines that didn't work or were basically just narcotics and people like tripped out till they died because they didn't know what they were doing, you know. I should say as well, another piece of this is that Sheila, immediately after he him talking about the the uh, Listeria being biologically similar that was found in the person and in the milk, she says that gorillas are bi biologically similar to humans. So it's a silly thing to say. <laughs> and it's like, they made the same argument like a couple months ago when there was the baby formula shortage, which was that they found a biologically symbol, similar sample of, uh, I can't remember what the uh, bacteria or virus was at the time, but, but whatever it was that was causing the problem with the, the infant formula, they found a similar one in the plant that was found in the victim. So then you go, okay, then let's shut down the plant and clean the plant. That was kind of the process, right? So it's like, of course... Because there's like some sort of biological similarity. By the time it leaves the plant goes over here, it is like multiplied and evolved or like whatever. It might not be identical, but you can sort of trace lineages and that's how they work it out. And it's not going to, they're never going to be certain because, you know, scientists never work on certainty. So they're going to say they're biologically similar. But they have good reason to believe that this milk was the thing that killed them. And so even though they weren't going to like destroy the farmer based on that alone... All they wanted to do was regulate him <laughs> so that he wouldn't kill anyone else. So now let's get to it, okay? 
Because it's even... It was even weirder than I imagined it to be, okay? So after the Florida person died in 2014, and there was another person in California who was infected but didn't die, the federal government was concerned about a countrywide listeria outbreak coming from this farm. After, of course, the tests of the milk, which showed that they were biologically similar, the government wanted access to the farmer's customer's database. That was the main thing they were after. And the reason why they were after that is because if all of a sudden you have a countrywide listeria outbreak, you want to find out who else might be infected. Right? So that's all they wanted. But of course, he didn't want to give away the database <laughs> of who his customers were. The government then monitored his farm, ordering that he had to slaughter his animals in facilities that were properly clean because he wasn't doing that already. The feds then found out he was still preparing and slaughtering meat on different sites that he was moving around in order to evade the regulators. And he was eventually brought to court for continual evasions where he was fined over $200,000 recently uh, with prison being on the table if he refuses to pay the fines. So that was the recent uh, thing that happened, which is the reason why we're talking about this today, was the, the ruling where he was being fined. Amos was under the belief that the private buyer's club means he is immune from regulations. That is not the case. <laughs> and part of the reason why is because he was still selling meat. Like, so the idea of this private buyer's club is that like, it's like, you know, where you go to like Costco and you get like a membership, you pay for the membership fee, but then you still buy the products, but you have to buy the membership fee to like get access to the products. And Sheila yeah. calls this a co-op. It's not a co-op. I don't know what the hell she was saying, right? But uh, And, like, the government even said it's not a co-op, so it doesn't even fall under co-op regulations. That was a part of the, the case as well. But the, is, the, the crux of what's going on here is he's selling these uh, products across state lines. And once you start doing that, you now get into federal regulation. So it doesn't matter what kind of fucking uh, profit sharing or private membership club or whatever fucking deal you're doing. If you're selling it across state lines, you're violating federal regulations. <laughs> it's the same reason yeah. why like you, have, like you have issues right now in America where certain states have legalized certain uh, narcotics. And yet the federal government hasn't made them uh legal yet so then there's this conflict between these things right and if you go across state lines even right like this this is an ongoing thing the same thing is happening here so even if your state specifically had some special like you're allowed to consume raw milk even though it's full of cow pus you can't then bring that milk to california and be okay another interesting uh piece of this story is that amos's lawyer is speaking out against him in the media <laughs> Let me be clear. His lawyer has gone rogue. <laughs> what? <laughs> Apparently, okay. Uh, so recently, okay, wait, okay. Uh, recently, Jeremy Lafredo was on Tucker Carlson. So the guy who's a rebel employee that we just heard talking went on Tucker Carlson to talk about the Amos Miller story and again about the gun raid, all the things that we heard here, okay? Mm -hmm. And Amos's lawyer, his name is Stephen LaFuente, 
has been court-ordered to represent Amos. So he doesn't want to represent Amos anymore. He's being forced to by the court. Uh, and part of this is because Amos is a hardcore sovereign citizen and therefore either wants to represent himself or his lawyers are these crazy people that don't believe in the law. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so this lawyer has sort of been trapped in this weird uh, situation. Now, a group of far-right Christian nationalists have adopted Amos's cause. Uh, Amos's cause has been a, a trending on anti-Semitic social media sites like Gab, which is why Lafuente did not want to represent him anymore. And it is worth noting that throughout the chat, Sheila refers to Amos as an Amish pacifist. And yet look at the company that he's keeping here. Like a bunch of like gunned up militants and Christian nationalists who are yelling about their freedoms. That's the thing about a lot of the Christian pacifist sects, like Quakers as well, is the like... Yeah, sure. They won't do the violence themselves, but they'll certainly benefit from it. You know, we had a story back in 2019 that was like the main story we were covering on Rebel News at the time, which was uh, these vegan activists had stayed in like uh, a bird farm of some kind in Alberta, and it was a Hutterite farm. And all Ezra could talk about was those poor Hutterites who are pacifists were just taken over by these activists. And then what they needed is strong, oh, they needed like other people to come and defend them because they were too pacifist to defend themselves. Like that was the whole uh, narrative arc of that, <laughs> of that situation. So you could tell yeah. like there's similar, like these similar connections, like it's what, what's old is new again, you know? So the other thing is the use of the private members club thing is a strategy that was provided to Amos by the sovereign citizens. <laughs> okay. Uh, and it's, it's heavily used in the alternative food movement to try to use magical legal speak to get around federal law. And Lafuentes, or Lafuente, uh, continues to tell Amos, even now during all this legal battle, that the private membership thing doesn't work if you're selling stuff over a state line and this is legal nonsense. Uh, <laughs> but as Lafuente puts it, Amos is so deeply involved in these movements, he doesn't listen to his lawyer. Lafuente described his client as a child who just doesn't like the government, so any suggestion that was offered to avoid fines, he refused to comply simply because the suggestion came from the government. So all those like things where like the government was like, well, how about you like slaughter the meat in our facility here? These are all ways the government was trying to appease Amos, and Amos just didn't want to do it because he didn't want to do what the government told him to do. That is very funny, honestly. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> I mean, Lafuente, you can't tell me what child. to do. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, I don't want to. Oh, that's so good. So Lafuente, uh, he spoke to the Daily Beast about all of this. So you could go check out the article if you want. Uh, he also says the claims about an armed raid are nonsense. So he said there was no raid let alone an armed raid on the, the ranch. That never happened. He said it's all a bunch of bullshit. They're lying about it. He complains that it has... T it, so this again, Amos's lawyer is complaining that it took the federal authorities this long to deal with this situation and says that Amos belongs in jail. <laughs> this is his lawyer. And he should have been in jail a long time ago. 
And he also <sighs> thinks that the recent media push is all the way to uh, get funds so that he can pay the fines for the recent thing that he lost. That's the only reason this media push is happening right now. Poor lawyer. <laughs> what, a, what a story. Just like... Yeah. And why? Why? All, it's, it's all like, uh, it's the alternative food movement. We're, we're freedom. We don't need those government regulators. Like, this has been like the ongoing thing I've pushed since the beginning of the pandemic. The anti-pandemic stuff, all at the base of it, is to completely destroy the regulatory state. That was the whole reason they were against uh, any pandemic regulation. Because just purely regulation is bad. They want listeria in their milk. They want to spread disease. They don't care. If the government is going to tell you to do it, government bad. I don't care. They're just a bunch of fucking children. Yep. And we have to, like, stop treating them like... It... you got to treat them in the way that we treat them, which is with disdain. You don't treat them as an equal and be like, oh, let's just have a civil conversation about this and reason and allow you to, like, get into politics and chat it amongst ourselves because they're just children. They can't be reasoned with. Amos Miller for president. <laughs> Amos or Stephen LaFuente? <laughs> Amos. <laughs> I like Stephen. <laughs> oh, God. I don't even listen. I don't even know if Stephen is allowed to like go that fucking balls to the wall against his own client or like. <laughs> yeah, right? Like. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I don't know if, like, maybe because the fines came down that, like, his legal obligation is no longer or something. Like, I don't... I was just like, that's incredible. That is Maybe incredible. he's just being like, yeah, sure. Like, try to disbar me. <laughs> like Maybe he wants to be disbarred at this point. He's like, geez, I don't want to represent... The, I don't want to be around all these Christian nationalist wackos and they're, like, wanting to get tainted milk. That's the thing, right? Like, it must suck for him because... You know, no matter what now, his whole like career as a lawyer is going to be like tainted by this case because it's like, if he had a just regularly represented them, you Google his name, him defending the Amish farmer dude who's <laughs> trying to poison people comes up. And now if you Google his name, him ratting out on his client is going to come up. <laughs> like regardless of like whether or not he should the client deserves to be ratted on which he does obviously you don't really want to hire a lawyer that does that <laughs> yeah although in this case it's weird the court like it's a very rare move that the court obligates yeah. you to stick with it like i i tried to like read into this but but since it like has only become like a mainstream story right now like all the little pieces of information are very hard to find uh and i don't know that it's going to go anywhere beyond this it's just like this whole thing is weird. Sovereign citizen. Yeah. The other thing that blows my mind is like, again, in ter like for them to like portray the cop raid the way that they did, even though it didn't happen, according to the lawyer. Sovereign citizens are one of the number one causes of cop fatalities before COVID, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, not that I'm like, happy with cops raiding a farm with guns blazing but if there was any reason why cops would want to go into place guns blazing it may be because of the the one group that like advocates not obeying the law and shooting killing cops you know yeah regardless of whether they're amish or not because they're involved in this fucking movement 
Amish sovereign citizens to pick up their shovels <laughs> to fight off the cops. They just used all their churn butter. <laughs> <laughs> just snowballs. Oh, Lord. We... <laughs> And Rebel has a petition, of course. That's what I should... <laughs> they have a petition so you could sign it and get mad at the government for what they're doing to this poor Amish farmer. There is one more day, and uh, it was Fuck. August 19th, but it's... To sum it up, nothing happens. Menzies is mad at uh, Marxist woke people. Do I need to say more? <laughs> Marxist woke people. He says some things about South Africa. I guess he talks about how his... Wife's rich family left South Africa because of apartheid. And I just thought, like, there's a lot of weird stuff going on there. Because why did you stay How in South Africa? How did they get Af rich? <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm like, why did you stay in South Africa during apartheid while you were rich, but then left when apartheid was ending if you thought that apartheid was bad? You know what I mean? Something weird going on there. So hmm. it could be like a retroactive sort of like massaging of the facts by his wife who doesn't want to see his fam her own family in a bad light. Could be a lot of that. But I will say at least David Menzies says that apartheid was bad and that it was vile and disgusting racism. So kudos to Menzies for that, even though he himself is a disgusting racist. He also moves on to say that BDS for apartheid in South Africa was great, but now it's bad because of Israel. But he doesn't explain why. So... But like he plays the rest of the episode is he plays a bunch of movie clips that uh, are to portray how like the uh, culture and society wants to paint white men as angry all the time. So he plays like Fight Club and Falling Down and all these movies. And I was like, well, why do all these movies exist if like the white angry man is like a myth? Why would there be a lot of movie representation about it? <laughs> Just a weird thing. But that's uh, that's mostly it. And then he ends with an interview with a veteran named Mark Menke. And Menke is talking about the medical assistance in dying uh, thing that happened recently, where I guess a member of the government working in Veterans Affairs basically told a struggling veteran to just choose medically assisted killing himself rather than getting necessary help. And I don't know if the statistic is correct, but, like, I've seen it around on Twitter a few times of, like, medically assisted dying is, like, the sixth leading cause of deaths in adults in Canada now. Like, because it's getting to the point where, like, yeah, you know, a doctor goes, a disabled person goes into the doctors and is like, wow, I sure would love some more support. And the doctor just, like, looks at them and is like, have you thought about killing yourself? Like, I mean, it's there's so many layers of complication here, which is that like we have a society that does not care about these people. Yeah, no, it's it's genuinely just like eugenics. Yeah, I mean, but, and it's, but it's not even framed from, as choice. It's like weird because it's like at what level, right? Because it's not like this veteran, the fair person, probably wanted, but you're at a situation where it's like you personally can't provide the help that this person needs because the government isn't funding it. And so you're, like, in this weird... Everything about the system is just fucked. Which is why, like... I mean, it could be on their part as well. Like, I don't know. I, I'm just thinking, like, in the broad thing here, the thing we need is resources for people. And people aren't getting those resources. And and what frustrates me about that is that, like, I'm an advocate for, for MAID 
in the sense that like I think everyone should have the right if they want to. They're at the end of their life. Uh, you know, they're dying of a disease. It's painful. Nothing's going to help them. And they choose to end their life early so that they don't suffer. I think that's reasonable. I think people should have that option. But it's like now we're in a position where we allowed made to go through to my like happiness that that's a good thing that happened. But then we didn't do any of the other things necessary in society to make it so now you have people that could live long and fulfilling lives, but choose to end it early because there's no social safety net for them. And it's fucked. I think it really is like it's very similar to like the UBI situation where it's like, you know, okay, yeah, hypothetically, it's a good concept, you know, the right to control the end of your life. Cool. Good. But it was always going to turn out this way. And like a lot of like disabled activists at the time of it, like passing, were being like, hey, this is exactly how this is going to turn out. And it's exactly how it turned out. And it's kind of like the UBI situation where it's like, people are like, oh, yeah, hypothetically, like, oh, wow, it sure would be nice. You know, government just gives you money every month and it's enough to live on and whatever else. But you know that that's coming at the expense of every other social program. You know that that's going to be how it works. Sure, it's like a nice concept. It Different in reality, because in reality, we live in a system that doesn't give a shit about anybody. Like you know, where these people are seen as burdens regardless. And, you know, they're working on making it so that um, mental health is a <laughs> another condition that's covered under MAID. And it's just, like, it is very openly just an attempt at extermination. I, like, I don't know, like, I part of me is frustrated with that language only because it's like, like, I, I don't want to pretend to know what other people's suffering is like. And, like, if people... And part, part of this because, like, I've known people at the, the end of their life were, like, because they didn't have that option, suffered through it. And it was terrible, you know? And so yeah. it's like seeing the other side of it, it's like there is there is good to made. And it sucks because, like, we still exist in capitalism, which is, like, part of the issue here, that we we, we see people as expendable. Like, I, it's... That's why it's, like, it's weird because it's, it's like... Uh, it's, like, systematic eugenics, in a sense. It's not like and I think anyone is sitting there with, like, some sort of, like, conniving plan to eliminate people. It's just, like, how the system functions is to cast a certain group of people as expendable, you know? Uh, yeah. And it fucking sucks, you know? <laughs> and I don't know what the right solution is here. Because, like, I, I really would like to see... I mean, like, I, like, I, don't, I, I don't know. I, I was going to say I'd like to see data. It still sucks that anyone would die unnecessarily in the case, like cases that we're describing. But at the same time, it's like, what do you do? Get rid of it completely? Or how do you, how do you carve it up so that it... It actually helps the people that need this to help them at the end of their life, but not deal with the negative consequences, given that we still live in capitalism. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. Everything about this sucks. Yeah, no. And like, you know, there's the anecdotes of like disabled people not being able to afford rent. And so the easier thing to do is just get made. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's... It's horrific, and the government sucks, and um, it's also just horrific that people are kind of, like, having it suggested to them. Like... Yeah. And, you know, that is that is a function of so many of these systems, right? Like, it is kind of... You know, you ha there's the classic, like, every social worker kind of, like, hates their clients and doesn't really give a shit about them because 
they're overworked and miserable and work in a system that sucks and take that out on the people that they have power over and get people removed from social assistance arbitrarily or like you know enact other forms of social violence on them yeah or take away their kids like they do with indigenous people like and you know veteran affairs worker yeah sure oh probably stressed underfunded blah 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 still looked at a struggling person and was like have you thought about killing yourself you know like that's not (laughs) yeah i don't like but here's the thing is like i don't think it's any better if if i think of the person as doing what they think as a noble thing in going like i really want to help you i know that the social structures in place can't help you i i wish i could do anything i can to save you but i can't and you're going to suffer for a long time because of it here's another option like even like i'm not saying that that's great but like it doesn't matter. It's like the fact is their system is set up that whether whether it was an act of like him doing what he thought was best or if he just fucking hated this person and thought that was a better way of dealing with the situation, it still sucks, you know? And I like, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, Part of the reason why I didn't get any clips for this segment is because I largely agreed with what they talked about in this segment. Uh, mm-hmm. The only thing that I would say that I disagree with them is, of, of course, they say nothing about what the actual solution is. I think the guest, his solution was all we need to do is create like veterans clubs so that people can hang out with other veterans that say you deserve to live or something like I don't. Uh, <laughs> which is like sounds nice, but that's not going to change the fact that these people are suffering or underfunded, you know. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's Shit a sucks. bummer note to end. <laughs> oh, you're real bummed out, are you? Have you thought about killing yourself? <laughs> Let's go back to the Amish. That was fun. <laughs> let's let's give people infections through raw milk. Yeah. Oh dear Woo-hoo. lord. Uh, this is a long episode. Yep. Congrats. <laughs> Congrats for making it through the episode, everybody. Um, go home. We did it. We're done. Yeah. Let's go to bed. That's it. That's what I got this week. Go to bed. I thought you had an article. I don't. Well, fair. I will say, I said this last week, but through a confluence of comedic errors, including me getting my hand crushed, I did not post the bonus episode. It'll be posted now. So... Uh, the August bonus episode is a bit late. The next, it was a two-parter, so the second part will come at the beginning of September. So, uh, I guess close in proximity two-parter. That's what I got for you, and why you don't have to worry about how late the bonus episode was. But <laughs> in part, it was because I was on vacation. Eric sent me the file. When I got back, the email like file thing didn't work anymore, so he had to resend it. Then I got a hand crushed in a window. You know, tons of fun. The usual shenanigans. Yes, but if you want to hear that bonus episode and you sport and enjoy what we are doing and what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. 
If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News with a Z. I will likely be starting up Twitch streaming again in September, so stay tuned for that. We have a Discord setup, and we have a YouTube channel, which I might start posting on there again eventually as well. And you can find all those links at the bottom of the show notes. Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at masontickle.com. Thank you for listening. And the Amish. You're canceled. Okay. Yeah. Raw milk it up. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.